I hope that that is the confession of your heart this morning, that you are resolved to follow the Savior. That's really, in one way, could be just a short definition of what it means to be a, a Christian. We're resolved to hasten to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, our, our resolve wanes. Sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes. Uh, it, it fades and sometimes it's strong. And that's one of the reasons we come together on a weekly basis is to remind ourselves and to build up that resolve once again to follow Christ. And so hopefully that will be the product of our being together this morning. Uh, I'm going to have our, our um, started to say our missionaries come forward. Uh, but I, I meant to say I'm going to have our ushers come forward for, for our offering. And uh, we are going to try to start to emphasize one of our missionaries each week. And uh, this week, I, I want to emphasize and just bring your attention and ask you to pray for Jerry and Sarah Howard. Uh, Jerry is, is actually Donna's cousin. He's from Whitesville, so he's from right around here. He's one of our uh, IMB International Mission Board missionaries uh, in, in China. Uh, they're currently in, in the States for a couple months. They're, they're on a break. Uh, so we just want to pray for them now, uh, for Jerry and Sarah and his family. Pray that God would give them a restful time here. Uh, we want to pray that while they're here, they would, they would have safety, and as they travel back to the mission field, that they're, they're, they would have safe travels. And uh, one more thing, Jerry's actually going to be here, uh, Lord willing, on December 16th, if everything works out. So you'll have an opportunity to hear from him. He's going to preach for us and share about the work that he is doing there in China. So let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are so grateful for all that you do for us. Most of all, we're grateful for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we're also thankful that you have uh, given us material blessings. Lord, th those are not the greatest blessings by, by far, and yet they are blessings that come from you. You've, you've caused us to live in, in a land that is experiencing a great deal of prosperity, and Lord, we know that Part of our function and part of our responsibility as those who have been blessed with so much is to be faithful stewards of that. And uh, we know that not all of us are called to go overseas and do missions in, in different places in the world. But we know that all of us, by virtue of the fact that you've blessed us and entrusted us with these riches, are, are called to help support missionaries and mission works all over this world like Jerry and, and Sarah. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in that. Help us not to be stingy or to, to give in a, in a grudging way, uh, but help us to be generous givers and faithful givers. And we do lift up Jerry and Sarah to you. We pray, Lord, that you give them safety while they're here. We pray that this time here in the United States would be a time of respite for them so that as they go back, Lord, that they would, they would be re-energized and recharged to, to do the ministry that you, you've called them to do. I pray that, that though they spend so much time away from their family, that while they're here with their family, it would be time of sweet fellowship with them and that you would just strengthen those bonds and, and bless them in that way. Be with us this morning as we continue uh, in this worship service. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. If you would this morning, take your Bibles once more. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at these same verses again, and hopefully you're not getting tired of that, but there's just a lot of truth here about uh, the church and who we are as God's people and what our goal and what our aim should be as a church. And uh, we didn't get through all of it last week, and I didn't want to just miss out on, on this truth here. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse number 7, 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, just by way of review here very quickly so that we understand the context, and if you've been with us, then this is becoming old hat for you at this point. Uh, but I think it's important to remind ourselves that Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 and into chapter 4, the, the great theme has been unity, that we as believers are unified. We are one in Christ. There are no longer different segments, different people groups, but in Christ we are all one. We're part of one body. We're being built into one temple for, for the Lord. And it, it kind of capstoned uh, with, with Paul where he says that there is one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So all of these things have been pointing that we as the people of God are unified. But in chapter, in, in verse number seven rather, there is a transition from talking about what, what brings us together, what unites us. There's a shift into talking about uh, the diversity within the, the unified body of Christ. Uh, in other words, we're not all the same. We're unified. We're one in Christ. But there, there are some distinctions. There are some differences. And primarily those differences are seen in terms of the gifts that Christ has given to us. And so you see that in verse 7. But there's a contrast here. He's saying you're one. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But grace was given to each one of us individually according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's a measuring out. There's a diversity of the gifts, and there's a, there's a distinct amount of gift uh, of gifting that is given. And so each of us as individuals, as part of this one body, have been given unique gifts to, to, to serve within the body of Christ. We saw that what this means uh, is that verse number 12 the saints, that is, all Christians, all members of the church, are to do the work of ministry. So he's given these gifts to the church, in verse number 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Jared and myself and Vance, we are not, we are not the ministers of the church, in one sense you might say that, uh, but, but in, in a real sense, Every one of you who are a part of Union Baptist Church, you are the ministers. You are those who are doing the work of the ministry. I've got a unique role in that. I'm, and, and as a pastor, 
uh, I, I am to equip and to prepare you, but you are the one who is to do the work of ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so we talked about sort of the process of maturity that last week, that is Jesus giving gifts to the church, saints using those gifts uh, to build up the body of Christ. But now Paul shifts a little bit more and, and he talks about what does maturity look like? So saints are to do the work of ministry so that the church can be built up so that it can mature. Well, what is that maturity? What does that look like? And we see that in verse number 13. We're told that there is a goal that we're working for, toward. Uh, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That word could be perfect manhood, but it means mature. It means complete. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal. So, so do you see this process? Jesus ascends on high. He has won victory over our sin, but he's also, he's also merited or earned gifts for us, and he pours those gifts out on, on his church. Pastors and apostles and teachers equip the saints who then use their gifts to do the work of ministry. And as a result of the saints doing the work of the ministry, the church is built up, it begins to grow. And that process continues until we reach the unity of the faith, until we reach perfect, mature manhood, until we as a body, corporately, look like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's where we are going. In a word, this, this process is going until we get to a place of maturity. You see that word until there. Uh, in other words, this, this process continues on until we all, it's a corporate process. It's not just me individually. It's until we all, we're, we're together as the unified body of Christ. It continues until we are all attain the unity of the faith. That, that word attain is the idea that you're traveling. It can be used in that way. You're traveling and you arrive at your destination. So this process of maturing happens until we all arrive at what? The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of of the Son of God. And we're going to unpack what that means. The, the first thing that we see here then is that the goal of the church is maturity in faith. If you have your bulletin, that, that's the, the, the word there. The goal of the church is maturity in faith. And we might ask, well, what does that maturity look like? What, what does it look like when the church becomes mature? Well, well he says here, it is until we attain the unity of the faith. That word faith, the faith, and we've talked about this before. Hopefully, for some of you, this will be review. For others of you, it, it might help you to understand. When, when we talk about faith, sometimes we're talking about our personal trust in Jesus Christ. I believe, I have faith. But, but when that word is used in the article, do you know what an article is? The, uh, when it says the faith, it's talking about just not my personal subjective faith, but it's talking about the doctrine. Like we might say, you know, I, I practice the Christian faith. Uh, it, it's more of an objective use of the word. And, and what it's talking about when we talk about the faith, it's talking about the, what we believe, the doctrine we believe. It is the teaching of the Bible, the Old and New Testament. It is that which Jesus 
taught, the things that Jesus taught to his disciples, and then he told his disciples that they were to take those things all over the world and make disciples and teach other people to observe all that Christ had taught them. And Jesus promised that he would give them the Holy Spirit that would lead them into all truth. And, and that's what we have then. We have the, the writings and the teachings of the apostles who were supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the faith. The faith then is the, the core message of Christianity. This is what Jude is talking about in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You hear that? Once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, he's saying here, Jude is saying, there is this, there, there are these teachings, there, there is this doctrine that has been handed down from God through Jesus Christ, through means of the apostles. It has been deposited to you. It has been handed down to you, and it's been delivered. How many times do we recreate Christianity? Every few generations, every time the, 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 the society changes, every time culture changes, do we keep adapting and changing Christianity? No, Christianity, the message, the teaching, the doctrine of Christianity has been handed down once for all, it's been delivered to the saints. So what we believe should match up to what Jesus Christ taught, should match up to what the apostles taught. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the faith. Paul wrote to Timothy and urged Timothy to guard the, the teaching that was handed down to him. 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of sound words. If you've done woodworking or things like that, sometimes you know there's a, a pattern that you need to follow. And, and Paul's saying, look, Timothy, I've trained you, I've discipled you, I've taught you, I've given you a pattern. Now, Timothy, as you are pastoring this church, I want you to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Here's that idea again. Paul's saying, I've handed down to you. I've entrusted this to you. I've given you a deposit of truth, and, and it's been handed down to you. Now you teach that to other people and guard it. Be sure that you follow the same pattern. Timothy, don't just make up whatever you want to make up. Don't just adapt this message to, to whatever they want in, in Ephesus. Don't change it to make it fit society. You have been handed down this faith, this teaching, and you need to follow the pattern of sound words. You need to guard what's been entrusted to you. That's what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the faith. It's what Christians have confessed and believed now for 2,000 years. It amazes me sometimes that people in, in Christianity, uh, in the evangelical world, think that, you know, Times have changed so much that we need to adapt Christianity to the culture and to society today. Uh, the, the reality is this is, what, this is what believers have confessed for 2,000 years. A lot has changed, but the word of God, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, has not changed. It is what is summarized uh, in what is often called the Apostles' Creed, which is not scripture, but it is a helpful summary of the, the basic core doctrines of Christianity. There's a lot that needs to be expanded from this, but this is a good summary statement. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended, he descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That has been and stands and remains as a summary statement of the Christian faith. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the unity of the faith. But notice he also says not only the unity of the faith, but the unity of the knowledge, verse 13, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now this is, I think, Paul saying, kind of repeating himself, the knowledge of the Son of God. He's kind of saying the same thing as when he's talking about the faith, uh, but, but he is, I think, maybe saying it in a slightly different, more personal way. You see, the goal is to have an accurate and personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. It, it isn't that we simply have a, have a knowledge of a set of facts, and that might, what, might be what you're led to believe when you talk about the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. You think it's like a, uh, like a book, and you're supposed to memorize it, and as long as you have the facts in your head, that's okay. But, but when he says the knowledge of the Son of God, he's talking about something more personal. It's a, it's a relationship to know Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wanted for himself in Philippians 3.10. He said that I may know him, that is, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So it isn't merely that Paul wants us to be able to pass a knowledge test about the faith, uh, but that he wants us to know Christ in a, in a personal way. You know, there's a huge difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. In order to know Christ, don't, don't get me wrong, you must know about him. If you know Christ, you must know about him. You must know the facts about him. You must have a knowledge of who he is, what he is like, and what he has done on your behalf. But you, you can know about Christ and not know Christ. In fact, maybe some of you are like that here this morning. You know all about Jesus Christ. You know all about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, but you don't have a personal relationship. You don't know Christ. You can know about Christ and not know Christ, but you cannot know Christ and not know about him. So you see what he's saying here. The goal of our growth then as Christians is that we would arrive at a place where we are unified in the doctrine we believe and in our personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of us together collectively, we are coming to a place where we understand who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the goal that Paul is saying. That's, that's why Christ has given these gifts. That's why each of us are doing the work of ministry so that we can arrive at, so that we can get to this point where we are all built up in the faith, where we are mature believers. We understand the faith and we know Jesus Christ well. But he doesn't just say the faith, but he says the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And you might say, you know, how could it be that doctrine, the faith, 
could provide unity. Usually, in our culture, we think that doctrine divides us. Well, don't talk about that, you know, we, we say. Let's not talk about what we believe. Let's not get into doctrine, because if we start talking about doctrine, then doctrine will divide us. We just need to, uh, to, to get along and don't worry about the, the particulars. But for those who are truly children of God, true doctrine brings unity. Paul told the Corinthians, listen to this, what, what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, have the same mind, the same thought, and the same judgment. Now, this doesn't mean like, that we're like a cult, that nobody has any diverse opinions on anything, that we all dress alike and, and, and we all say the same thing, like we're just robots who are programmed. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that when, we, when it comes to the core elements of our faith, there ought to be agreement and there should not be any division. So, so when it comes to who is Jesus... Who is Jesus? Is, is he God or is he merely man? Well, we, we confess together, right, that he's the God-man. He's fully God and he's fully man. And we ought to have no, no division on that. There should be no diverse opinions about, you know, well, Jesus was just a good man. He wasn't truly the Son of God. No, that's part of the faith, and we need to agree about that. There should be no division. How has a person come uh, to be saved? How do you get to heaven? By grace alone, through faith alone. There should be no division in the church. That's part of the, the faith that has been once for all delivered in, to the saints, and we ought to have the same mind about that. We as a church have adopted the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 which is a, a, a summary statement, a little bit longer than the Apostles' Creed, but is sort of a summary statement of what we believe. And essentially, as a church, we ought to be walking in unity on those things. And there are secondary and tertiary matters that, that we could be divided on or have differing opinions on, but when it comes to the core elements of our faith, there ought to be unity. The only division that comes about core doctrine is when somebody believes something that's not true. When somebody rejects the faith that's once for all been delivered to the saints. That is what causes division. Doctrine does not cause division. The goal is, is not just faith. This is secondly. The goal is not just faith, but maturity in faith. Now, this is important because in a lot of churches... They have settled to say, we just want to bring people to know Christ. And once we've done that, once we've done our work of evangelism, then we're good. And that's all we're going to focus on. We're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel. And we want to get as many people converted. We want to see as many people make professions of faith. And that's our only goal. But, but notice here, Paul wasn't just concerned that people have faith in Jesus Christ. He was concerned that they come to a place of maturity in their faith. In their faith. In fact, listen to Paul's concern for this, for this maturity. Listen to Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim. Paul's talking about, I, I proclaim Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why does he do that? He answers, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in within me. 
Paul's saying, look, I want people to come to faith in Christ, but I don't want to leave them as babes. I don't want to just go into Thessalonica or Corinth or Ephesus and lead them to Christ and then just let them wallow around as little infants in their faith. I toil, he says, I, I teach. And the reason I do that is because I want to present them on that judgment day, I want to present them mature in their faith, mature in Christ. And he says, I struggle, I toil for this goal that they might be mature. We could see this also in Colossians 3, verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray more earnestly, night and day, that we may see your face, that we may see you face to face. Paul's saying, look, I'm praying night and day. I'm so thankful for you, Thessalonians. I'm praying night and day that I can see you again. I want to see you face to face. Why? Why are you so concerned? Why are you praying night and day, every day, that you could get back to Thessalonica and see the Thessalonians? Why is that, Paul? Because he says, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to build you up. I want you to come to maturity. That word supply has the idea even of mending. It, it, it's restoring something that's not all the way there. It's used in Matthew 4.21 of the disciples who are sitting there, they're fishermen, and they are mending their nets. And, and Paul's saying, that's what I want to do for your faith. There are some things that aren't what they ought to be in your faith. I want to supply that. I want to mend your faith. I want you to grow up and become mature in Christ. Listen, Paul didn't, this wasn't just his desire, but uh, this is what Jesus said in the Great Commission. So often churches will talk about the Great Commission and they say, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're to go get converts. We're, we are to make sure that people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But listen, that's only one part of the process because Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. The job of the church doesn't end when a person walks the aisle and makes a profession of faith. The job is only just beginning. We have a responsibility to build them up and to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now, application point here, the church largely, I'm not just talking about us, I'm talking about the church largely, especially in America and in the West, is aiming at the wrong goal. We are aiming at the wrong goal. Un unfortunately, the church in America is failing miserably to bring Christians to a place of maturity. This is the greatest, uh, the, the greatest obstacle that's facing the church is that we are made up of a bunch of spiritual babies. We are infants, and I don't say that as, as an insult, but we are infants in the Lord. Churches have focused on the wrong, wrong goal and it has resulted in weak and anemic Christians who have little understanding of the faith and no discernment about false teaching. It is astonishing to me that when you talk to the average professing Christian, they struggle even to explain the basics of the gospel. How does a person get to heaven? How is a person made right with God? How can you have assurance that when you die, you will not go to heaven, or not go to hell, but go to heaven? When you talk to the average Christian, the professing Christian in, in America, in Hancock County, they struggle to 
to even be able to explain that essential element. Listen, if you can't get that right, you're wrong from the start. How is it that we've failed at this most basic task? There was a study done by Lifeway, sort of a, a research study, and they studied just Americans, people who profess to be Christians, and uh, they, they, sh they just found that there was such vast ignorance in America about the Bible, about the basic stories that you find in the Bible, about the basic doctrines of Christianity. It, it was astonishing that people who claimed that they spent at least some time at church, many of them grew up in church or went to church on a regular basis or semi-regular basis, and they could not tell basic stories of the Bible or basic doctrines that Christianity believes. Albert Muller commenting on that study said this, Christians who lack biblical knowledge are the products of churches that marginalize biblical knowledge. Bible teaching now often accounts for only a diminishing fraction of the local congregation's time and attention. The move to small group ministry has certainly increased opportunities for fellowship, but many of these groups never get beyond superficial Bible study. Youth ministries are asked to fix problems, provide entertainment, and keep kids busy. How many local church youth programs actually produce substantial Bible knowledge in young people? Even the pulpit has been sidelined in many congregations. Preaching has taken a back seat to other concerns in corporate worship. The centrality of biblical preaching to the formation of disciples is lost, and Christian ignorance leads to Christian indolence and worse. Listen, in, in our day and time, many churches have lost their way. They've forgotten that part of their responsibility is to disciple believers. Part of their responsibility is not just to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, but to bring them to a mature faith in Jesus Christ. And the problem is that we are focused on the wrong goal. I'm sure everyone of you who has children or you've been to a, a, a basketball game for, for little kids you've probably had the experience of seeing one of those little kids grab the basketball and take off running and shoot it, and it goes in the goal only to realize that they ran the wrong way and shot at the wrong goal. What, what good is it? Well, they made the shot, yeah, but they scored for the other team, right? They, they're aiming at the wrong goal, and so everything that they do is, is messed up by that. And listen, for too many churches... Too many churches in our nation are focused on the wrong goal. And, and we talked about this last week, but the goal that so many are focused on is numeric growth. They are focused on we need more and more and more people, and we're never content where we're at. We want to see more people, and we want to see more people. We've got to keep growing, and, and all they're focused on is numeric growth, and there's never any focus, never any concern that the people that are already here need to be discipled. They need to be uh, brought up and, and brought to a place of maturity in their faith. Many churches are... Uh, have a desire for, for greater numbers. And oftentimes they do something that's very, almost deceitful in some ways. Many churches cloak their desire, this, what I would say is even a sinful desire to just grow and grow and grow in numbers. They cloak it in what seems like a noble agenda, right? Because we want to win people for Christ and we want to fulfill the Great Commission. But here's the, the dirty little secret for so many churches who are growing churches 
uh, is that what is happening there is not a lot, a lot of times, there are big uh, exceptions to this, okay? I'm not speaking, I'm just speaking in generalities. But a lot of times these churches that are just taking off, booming, and, and growing, they're not leading new people to Christ. They're not growing because all of a sudden they've become really evangelistic and they're, they're out in the community witnessing and evangelizing and preaching the gospel and people in droves are just coming to faith in Jesus Christ. For many of these churches, some are, but for many of these churches, what is happening is what we call transfer growth, which is people are saying, oh, look at that church. They got better programs. They got better music. They, they look more exciting, more appealing. I think I'm going to go to that church. And so people transfer and this church starts to grow, grow, grow. And they say, hey, we're bringing people to the Lord. We're growing, so that's good. And, and the problem is they're not at all focused on discipling those people. They're not at all focused many times. Again, generalities here. They are not at all focusing on bringing people to a mature place in the faith. They simply have a sinful desire for their own glory. We want a bigger church. We want to be a growing church. We want to, we want to have our, our pastor, our leaders, be able to speak at conferences and tell everybody how they had a, a growing church, and they are failing to bring the saints to a place of maturity. And it is a, a great travesty. This text is saying that our maturity, not only our deliverance from hell, but our maturity was purchased by Jesus Christ do you see that here? Jesus has poured out gifts on the church. What are the purpose of those gifts? He could have given us gifts. He has all power. He's victorious over everything. He could have given us gifts to do anything. He could have given us gifts so that we have great political power. He could have given us gifts that we might just be able to draw large crowds. That could be what he says, right, in verse number 11. And he gave gifts that that the church might be able to draw massive crowds or that they might have great political power or, or whatever else. He could have given those, uh, those gifts to us. But why did he give us the gifts? What is the purpose of these gifts that he has given to us? That the saints might be equipped to grow up in the faith. Jesus died and ascended and won for us these, these gifts so that we could become mature in faith, Jesus is concerned about your maturity. It's no secondary matter, as if we can just write it off. Well, we're just not, we're not very good at discipling. We're not very good at leading people to maturity in their faith. No, that's our goal. That's our purpose. And we need to be focused on it. What does Jesus want UBC to do? What's the metric by which we're being evaluated? Is it how big the crowd or how excellent the show or how we're entertaining the worship service, how trendy we are, how well we're doing at, at, at influencing the political realm? No. The standard is how we are doing at bringing believers to maturity in the faith. Listen, now, the reality is we desperately, don't, don't let me get this wrong, don't, don't get this wrong, we desperately want to see more people come to know Christ. We, we better be following the first half of the Great Commission, go and make disciples. We ought to be people who are preaching the gospel, absolutely. Do we want to see that kind of growth, numeric growth, that's coming as a result of evangelism and people coming to faith in Christ? Absolutely, we better be doing that. But we want and we understand that a big part of our mission and what we're called to do, our goal, 
is not primarily that kind of growth, numeric growth, but spiritual growth, that is maturity. We also understand this. The reality is that the healthiest way to grow numerically is to focus on spiritual mature, the spiritual maturity of the body. In fact, that's exactly what we're saying. When you have people who are built up in the faith and they come to a place of maturity, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be people who are evangelistic. They are going to be individual Christians who are reaching out into the community and winning people to Jesus Christ. And so we need to focus on that. If you focus on numbers, maturity never comes. If you focus on numbers, maturity never comes. But if you focus on maturity, often numeric growth will come. Numeric growth is often the result of maturity, but maturity is never the result of numeric growth. Now look at a picture of, of this maturity. A, a picture of this maturity in verse number 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now verse 14. This is the picture. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. That really could be a description of where the church is right now. People are tossed to and fro, like the, the hurricane that came in and the great waves and the winds that came as a result of that hurricane. People in the evangelical world are tossed to and fro by every new wind of doctrine. There's this new fad. There's this new trend. There's this new, uh, this new speaker, this new uh, spiritual leader, and he's saying this, and people are just tossed about. Why is that happening? Because they have not come to a place of, of maturity in their faith. They're being tossed to and fro. And not only that, but there, there are people who are false teachers. There, there's, he says here, uh, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Listen, Satan's main task, the main way that Satan works is that he's a deceiver. The gospel is a truth we must believe. And the way that Satan so often works is to try to deceive us away from believing that truth. That's why Jesus said that, that Satan was the father of lies. You go back all the way to the Garden of Eden, and what is Satan doing? He's deceiving Adam and Eve. And guess what? He's been deceiving people ever since. In our day and time, people are being deceived because preachers and, and, and ministry leaders are standing up and, and they're holding the Bible and they look like pastors, they look like men or women of God, and they are declaring things that are not true. And people who are infants, people who are immature, people who have never been discipled, just believe it. They take it in. And there's no defense because they are not mature in their faith. He says that, that we may no longer be like little children. You know, one of the things about children I'm sure we all are aware of is that they're so naive. They, they just believe you, whatever, whatever you tell them. And you can trick them into believing all, all kinds of things. That's not something that I would encourage you to do. Uh, but it's just a reality of the way that children are. They're trusting, and they don't, they're not discerning. They haven't been there before. They're not mature, and, and so they just believe what is said. The same is true for infants in Christ. Maybe they've heard the gospel and they've believed, but now this preacher comes on and he says this, and somebody else says that, 
and they're just naive, like little children. They, they believe uh, whatever comes their way so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. We need to be careful of Satan who is a deceiver and also of, of his workers who are uh, seeking to, to spread false doctrine. Rather, the other picture, the, the positive picture, what should be happening, we should no longer be children like that. Instead, what should be happening? Rather, look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We are to grow up. How do we grow up? By speaking the truth. Christians need to hear the truth. People who come to faith in Christ, they need to be taught the truth. And far too often, the church is failing at that. This is, this is our goal here at Union Baptist Church. We want to lead people to Christ. We want to be evangelistic. We want to reach the lost. We want to grow like that, absolutely. But we also see that a second step of that process and something that we cannot forget is that we are to mature one another. And that, it's all, it's not just us. It's not just the pastors who do this. It's the saints who are gifted who are speaking the truth in love, who are building up the body of Christ. That is the, the product of this maturity. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us grow. Lord, we've seen that the, the, the result of all of this is that we would come to a unity of the faith, and uh, we confess that we're not there. Many of us are still immature. Many of us are still... Uh, still easily duped and, and tossed around by every wave of doctrine. I pray that you would protect us from the deceiver and from his workers who would uh, tell us things that are not true and are not biblical. Help us to believe the truth. Guard us and build us up. Lord, I pray that every one of the saints who are here and part of our church would, would begin to use their gifts, that they would begin to speak the truth in love with whatever gifts they have so that this body might be built up in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.